Welcome to 360 Conversations. This is a podcast featuring powerful conversations with business and well-being thought leaders, experts, and founders. We will be digging deep while sharing experience, insights, and tips for busy Generation X women seeking ways to strip back, simplify, live intentionally, and create space for everyday joy. I'm your host, Tamu Thomas, founder of The 360 Brand. I'm a life coach, speaker, writer, and podcaster too. I am passionate. In fact, I believe that it is my divine assignment to help Generation X women connect with their inner leader, the leader that resides in their emotions, buried by logic and the desire to be good. Logic and being good according to someone else's standards is okay for surviving, but round here, we are in the business of thriving. I use my background in social work, life coach training, and my superpower of loving kindness to help women connect to who they really are so they can expand into themselves fully embrace their leadership qualities and relinquish the chaos that exists within the duality of who we are and who we think we should be. My intention for this podcast is to plant seeds and create aha moments that bring you closer to your centre so that you can start to embrace your 360 degrees wholeheartedly. Hello, you beautiful sun rays. Welcome to another episode of 360 Conversations. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your time. I always value your time. I value your feedback. I love it when you share podcast episodes with people you think need, want, would like to hear what I'm saying. I'm I'm really, really grateful for your support. I know that a lot of you have been here since the beginning, so I'm tapping my heart. That that means so much to me. Thank you. Uh, today, I must warn you, a trigger warning, sensitivity warning, if you will. Um, I am having a beautifully rich, deep and nourishing conversation with Maria Evans, um, who is a coach for teenagers and parents of teenagers. The reason for my sensitivity slash trigger warning is that we spend the first half of our conversation talking about grief. We have a really, really powerful conversation about grief because Maria sadly lost her mother and sister at the age of 16. And over recent months, Maria has been sharing different content about her experience of grief and what she has learned from sitting with her grief um, and almost befriending her grief and and staring at her grief, well, observing her grief with compassionate, empathetic curiosity rather than, than trying to suppress. So we have a really rich conversation about the shape-shifting element of grief. We talk about recognising trauma and acknowledging that trauma doesn't mean that your life looks Dickensian, that people with happy childhoods, beautiful families, wonderful connections can still experience trauma and how that can manifest itself physically, a testament to our integrated mind-body experience that everything is interlinked. We talk about the fact that it's okay to ask for help, 
the power of working with professionals and we talk about Maria's work with teenagers and about how she supports teenagers to embrace themselves, start to work out what their own personal GPS system is, GPRS, whatever it is, system is, so that they can start to understand what it is for them to feel emotionally safe and what emotional safety feels like for them. We talk about so much. This was a really rich and nourishing conversation. Maria, I'm so grateful for your candour, your vulnerability. I I really, really enjoyed this chat and didn't realise how much I needed it myself. So without any more gushing, without further ado, I delightfully know I, I, I share this conversation with you and hope that you will find it useful comforting and give you permission to feel your feelings welcome Good morning. that's such a lovely introduction thank you thank Blushing. you so much for being here <laughs> and thank you for just being such a um oh a Brene Brown style connection oh <laughs> thank you feelings mutual so uh maria for those that haven't had the pleasure and privilege of you cheerleading them please could you tell my listeners a bit about yourself and what you do yeah so as you said um, i coach and mentor teenagers and also parents of teenagers as well so I've, i've just started to do that in the last couple of months which i absolutely love doing as well so um my background as you said is in teaching i was an english teacher in secondary schools um for i think it was 13 and a half years i did and um and then i found it i loved it for so many years and then I started to kind of fall out of love with it for various different reasons which I'm not going to kind of bore you with but essentially as you hear with so many teachers the the crippling workload having three small children um and uh the kind of demand the constant sort of demands I just I found it all a bit too uh, you know I couldn't do it all basically Mm -hmm. and I also just didn't want to be in the same job um, for me, I just didn't want to be in the same job for, for my whole kind of working life. And I, and I'd gone from university straight into teaching. Um, so I wanted to, to try something else. I, so I went completely kind of in an, up another direction and trained to be a social media manager, um, because I wanted to work from home and I wanted the flexibility of working around the kids. But actually I realized that wasn't for me either, um, I was spending an awful lot of time on my phone and which didn't feel good for me. Um, so I had some coaching and real with lovely Ray Dodds. I joined one of Ray Dodds Ray. group courses. Let's shout out to Ray. And realized all this stuff and and um it just opened my world up to open my eyes up to the kind of whole world of coaching. And I was like, my goodness, if I had had this if I'd known this stuff as a teenager, things could have been an awful lot different for me. Like mm-hmm. teaching was a job that I was kind of supposed to do. It was like a natural, I'm going to use inverted commas, natural kind of thing from career path for me to go down. Um, but I didn't really give myself time to really think about what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I just followed that path because um, I didn't really explore any other options and, and, and didn't really explore what I wanted. And, and coaching kind of opened me up to that sort of whole other kind of way of, of um, kind of 
looking at myself and um, digging deep into things that I wanted. And I thought, yeah, if I'd known this as a teenager, things would have been a lot different. Would mm-hmm. I have listened as a teenager? I don't know. <laughs> but it would have been there. Yeah. I never yeah. knew that stuff. And I yeah. don't think very many of us do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when, and I and that happened. And I also realised that I really, really missed working with young people. I love working with young people. I just didn't like teaching them English anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where, that's, that's how it all started, basically, as I just thought, well, what would happen if I offered this to teenagers that I I did this work with them and um it's been about I think it's been about a year and a half since I started my business and I absolutely love it so I work one-to-one with teenagers Mm -hmm. who have various um kind of things going on I'm not a counsellor or a therapist, so mm-hmm. it's it's at, it's very much at a certain level. If mm-hmm. they need more specialist help, then um, you know, then then I'm not the person. I'm not yeah. that person. Yeah. It's it's kind of young people who struggle with um, confidence, friendship issues. Um, they're kind of limiting beliefs about school and what they can achieve um and I also do a specific program on exam um mindset mm-hmm. as well um uh, where we look at you know preparing your mindset for exams and also yeah. the, um I bring in a lot of my um teaching experience with that as well and we look at practical revision strategies and I kind of hold them accountable to actually getting the work done yeah um the revision done but also having the building all those kind of beliefs that they can do it as well and kind of having that having that um confidence behind them too so um and then I say I've just started to um branch out coaching parents as well uh, mentoring parents as well so I think a lot of the time when we hit the teenage years you lose those kind of at the gates kind of chats with other mums or other dads don't you and you and you know, kids do not want you anywhere near their secondary school. So you kind of lose that contact contact with your peers. And, yeah. and it's not often that you can have those conversations anymore about what's going on. Is your kid doing this? Mine's yeah. been really, really moody recently. What's yours doing? And, and, and often, actually, sometimes we don't want to have those conversations with people who know us and know our kids because we're worried that they'll judge them, they'll yeah. judge us. Yeah. So I'm that person that, you, you know, is not connected to the family, mm-hmm. not connected to your group of friends. So you can talk to me without judgment, without feeling shameful. And, um, and I think, and I help most, it's mums that I'm working with at the moment. I have coached a dad, one dad, um, uh, but helping you kind of tap into your intuition. I don't tell people what to do, but yeah. I help them to realize it that they know already what to do they know already what to do they know what they want to do they're just a you know there's just some stuff that's getting in the way of them yeah you know yeah. doing it the way yeah. parenting the way they want to yeah so yes that's what I, I love do. that thank <laughs> you I love that and I've I've said very clearly that um once my daughter I don't, I, I don't know where whereabouts, but once my daughter is doing uh, GCSE, so I'm thinking year 10, in her school, they start their GCSEs in year nine. She's um, yeah. going to be choosing her options shortly. She, she already knows what she wants to do. 
um, mm. like in terms of the choices, not knows what she wants to do with her life. And I've just yeah. actively encouraged her to do subjects that she enjoys. So she'll give yeah. her all rather than, um, you know, I want to be a lawyer, therefore I'm going to do this, that or the other. And I yeah. think that because I understand the power of coaching and because I know my child, I think that she would thrive with you, Maria, not any old coach, but you, oh, Maria. <laughs> um, so I will definitely, definitely be um, booking coaching for my daughter when she starts. I just need to figure out when that is and mm-hmm. um, how it happens. Obviously, I'll talk to you about it, but yeah. that if, if <clears throat> I will be sharing links in the show notes about Maria's work and what she does um, and have a look at it. Because I just think that it's about time that we give ourselves the grace of not needing to know it all and seeking appropriate help where um, necessary. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we don't realise where it's necessary um, Mm. so that we can be in the space to give our best and allow our children to be their best because we often conflate what we think is their best and what their actual best is yeah um so I I I really think what you do is really really powerful however I have you here for (laughs) uh multi-purpose reasons um so uh, Maria very sadly lost two not just significant your mum and your sister when you were Mm. 16 Mm. And you and I have had conversations about grief. And last Mm. week I shared a post on Instagram about holding space for people without, you know, needing to um, always try to fix. And that has come off the back of, I lost one of my favorite aunts very suddenly at the beginning of January. And the grief um, has just showed up in all kinds of places and has activated other grief. Um, so you guys that, you know, have hung around these parts for a little while will know that, um, when I get really into a word, I look up the meaning in the dictionary. So I I looked up grief in the dictionary and, um, grief is intense sorrow, especially caused by someone's death. Um, and I just want to say it says, especially. So my experience of losing my aunt activated intense sorrow about other like things um Mm -hmm. so so that that kind of grief um and not necessarily loss of people or things but made me start to really think about the way I behave with pain basically Mm -hmm. um and I think that as a society we just don't support emotional pain because we haven't been taught how to do it what Mm -hmm. we've been taught is how to very quickly discard or suppress And we do that by fixing. Um, Mm. So bearing in mind your experience, Maria, I wanted to know, what do you think is an alternative to trying to fix or take away someone's pain, grief, sorrow? I think it's just listening. It's just listening and removing your need to fix. You don't, because the, the reality is you can't fix it. Mm. you can't fix it so my experience was my mum died do you know what actually I haven't told you this Tammy so 
today is her the anniversary oh, of her Maria. death. Oh, It is, I know. When we booked this call, I realised a few days later, and I thought, I'm not going to change it, because it's been 22 years, and today is just another day. It's a day where I get messages from my dad and my brothers and my sister, where we kind of all, you know, tell each other, my auntie, um, that it's actually my aunt's birthday today, so her sister, oh, you know. So it's... it's um, it is another day. It is just another day. We remember her, but it doesn't, it used to have a cloud over it, but the years, it, grief does change. I know we're going to talk about that, but it does change and evolve. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, yeah, that's, we listen. You can't do 22 years ago. She died. She's gone. Like no one can fix that. What, what would fixing that be? It would be bringing her back. Well, that's mm-hmm. impossible. You can't fix it. So I, I, and everybody's experience of grief is different and everybody will go through it in a different way. But for me, the people who I remember who, you know, who did, who, who, who did it well, you know, held the space for me well while I was grieving were the people who just listened mm-hmm. and who acknowledged it was shit. Yeah. Not try and say, do you know what she was suffering? Because people did say this. Mm-hmm. She was suffering for a lot for a long time. At least she doesn't have to suffer anymore. My mm-hmm. sister, they both had cancer. My sister died eleven weeks later. I had people say we had people say, well-meaning people saying, well, at least she didn't have to go through the through seeing her daughter die. So you kind of you you're kind of met with with it's like all a double the time. Punch. Yeah. So people kind of saying all this stuff, like trying to make you see the silver lining. And I think we just need to accept that some situations there is not, there is not a silver lining. Are there things that we learn from them? Mm -hmm. And are there good things that come from them? Like the way we kind of evolve as people from going through the kind of experience. I love your phrase you always say about shit being fertilizer. Mm -hmm. You know, there are things that come out of it, but, but, the, the actual kind of nuts and bolts of it, you know, the fact that this person has died, you cannot fix that. And in, and I think we need to, yeah, we need to kind of, and, that, and also in trying to fix it, you're making yourself, you're centering yourself in that situation, Ooh, aren't you? Yeah. Well, do you agree? Facts. You're kind of, yeah, you are. I you? wish you're I had a hip hop sound thing so I could <laughs> do, 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 do. Jeez. But you are, aren't you? Absolutely. And you're, and you're also diminishing those feelings of grief. And this and let, and I'm saying all this with kindness because mm-hmm. people just want to people want to take away that pain, of course, especially if it's someone you love, you want to take that pain away. But actually in trying to just I spent a long time try to just ignore those feelings of pain it doesn't do you any good it comes back and bites you in the bum later on in life it Mm -hmm. does it does and last year was like my big grief year I think you know I actually just looked at it all I wrote I wrote an Instagram post about it I think before Christmas and I talked about how I had like boxed it all up put it on the top of my wardrobe let it gather dust, hide it behind a load of stuff. And last year I actually took it down and had a good old look and it was not pretty. Yeah. But it was incredibly important that I did it and incredibly healing that I did it. There were times when I was like, oh, this thing in my life that I keep doing that thing. Oh no, that's 
that's because mum died. <laughs> that's wow. They, you know, and I, and I say, oh no. And then something would come up in my journaling or in my own kind of mind, mindset kind of practice and things like that. And I'd be digging around. Why do I think that? Why do I think that? It's not, I'm not, it's just not because, it's not because I went through that. And then I'd have to accept, oh no, it, it is. is. <laughs> it is. Because of course it's, it, it's going to affect every part of your life mm. and I think it's that's okay that's okay that's okay it's okay you can't try and fight it and change it yeah. it's just there is a brilliant there's an amazing charity called the new normal yeah and on Instagram I think they're TNN the new normal charity and they're two guys in their 20s who both lost their dads and they met because they both lost their dads. I can't remember the story about it. But in London, they, they're London-based at the moment. They hold monthly meetings for young people and young adults who've lost, um, who are grieving. And they put a post up recently about the, the glass of water theory. I don't know if you've heard of, of this, but, it, you know... Well, the it's speaking this, kindness thing. Well, I don't know if it's that, but it's somebody, somebody comes up to you and chucks a glass of water right. over you. What are you going to do? You're going to stand up and shout and scream at them and get pissed off with them and rage. You're still yeah. going to be. You're still going to. You might do that. You're still going to be. You're yeah. still going to be wet. You're yes. still going to be soaking wet yeah. and cold. Okay. So what you actually have to do when you've, you've calmed down and the rage has passed, you need to dry yourself off. You need to change yeah. your clothes. Yeah. You need to dry your hair. You yeah. need to get yourself warm again. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you, you, you can have all this water chucked at you. can have all this stuff thrown at you. It's not your fault. But you, it's only you that can dry yourself off yeah. and make yourself yeah. warm again. And I love, things, I love that analogy. I love that. My, my friend Leah, she said the other day she went to the... It, it was one of those days where there was... Um, a significant chance of rain and she thought you know what I need to go to the post office so I'm just going to go the, the clouds it, the, the sky looked clear enough she went to the post office as she walked out of the post office the heavens opened that kind of torrential rain mm-hmm. where you were soaked through her hat was soaking her padded coat was soaking she could feel like her clothes were soaking under and she said I must have looked like I need some kind of help because she walked home with a huge smile on her face. Her smile is wide. Yeah. When she smiles, the whole world smiles with her. And she just she just thought to herself, I could be really annoyed and really pissed off that I'm yeah. soaking wet and be soaking wet and be really miserable. Or I can just accept that I'm soaking wet. There's nothing I can do because I'm on my yeah. local high street and I can just walk home and change. And I was like, yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where is it? Yeah, where where are you going to put your energy? What was she going to do? Like, and then just carry that anger around with her for how long? Mm. Because nature decided to rain. Come on, yeah, yeah. But something you said just now. So before we started recording, Maria and I had a good old catch up, and we were talking Mm. about maturity. And um, it's interesting that last year was the. 21st anniversary Mm. of your mum and your sister passing Mm. so around the world you're considered to be an adult when you're 21 Mm. Mm. your grief matured and you were able to about it in that way yeah that's so interesting yeah I I wrote down uh your your grief came of age 
Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And that's not to frighten anyone who's going through it now mm. either. Thank God, am I going to have to wait this long for it to, to be they able may, to they deal may with not, it? But it's a, what I've learned from you and your posts is that it's constant. It's not yeah. always a, a heavy weight or shadow, but it's, no. it becomes part of you and you, you uh, embrace it. Mm-hmm. And I think I used to be very um, embarrassed by it. I was very embarrassed by my story because I didn't want people to feel bad. Mm-hmm. So uh, when they died, they died when I was in my lower six, so year 12, you mm-hmm. know, now. And I went to university and I, you know, so so at school, all my <laughs> friends, all my friends knew, you know, they all knew. And actually, a lot of my friends knew my mum, my sister really well, and they went through grief from mm-hmm. losing losing them too. And um, when I went off to university, I was obviously meeting a load of people for the first time. And it was like, I need to get this out quick, just tell them, right, okay. You know, yeah. and I would be like, I'd be psyching myself up for it. And I'd try and tell them like in Freshers' Week, like within a day of meeting them, I just want to pull the plaster off, let them know this is my story. And they would kind of be like, oh, and I'd be like, we don't have to talk about it. You don't have to say anything. I just want you to know, so let's move on. You know, and I, and it was, I was embarrassed because I didn't want people to feel bad, yeah. you know, because my story was so unusual and so sad. Yeah. But I also didn't want them to be pitying me. I didn't yeah, want them yeah. to think that I was going to be any less fun I, I think I overcompensated that probably mm. by trying to be too much fun mm-hmm. um, and doing some stupid things. But it, it you know, it, it, yeah, it was something that I was almost, and that is, that's, we come back to what we were saying about being, just being able to listen because mm-hmm. what it also does when you are trying to fix somebody is making them think that they can't talk about it. That that some because it's upset it's too upsetting for everybody else yeah. to talk about this, and it wasn't like I wanted to talk to everybody about it. You know, I don't, I don't, I yeah. didn't want to talk to everyone about it, but I, I, I didn't really want to talk about it at all. Um, not really because mm-hmm. yeah, it was too. I felt I'm going to be a uni student. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just want to be like everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, and just be, yeah, be, be normal, whatever mm-hmm. that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, uh, your, your, your grief coming of age, mm-hmm. what, what did you uh, learn from sitting with your grief and exploring your grief? Mm. I learned that it affected so many decisions that I'd made and so many aspects of kind of what I, who I am, I think, Um yeah, that it. I I'd kind of thought that it. Well, for, for, I had only acknowledged it last year that it was trauma. I had understood the word trauma to mean being in some sort of natural disaster or yeah. um, some war. You know, war torn. You know, war yeah. s- situation or or something like that. That kind mm-hmm. of big big event. I didn't think what happened to me was trauma. So when I kind of realized that, I can't remember how I even realized that. I think somebody said it to me and I I looked the word up and I was like, yeah, no, it is, that was trauma. And And trauma, just to slide in, Mm -hmm. I think this is really important because I think a lot of us live with trauma and because we think it has to be some big natural disaster or some Mm. massive abuse story, we don't actually um, give ourselves the grace 
of understanding that. So trauma is a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. It doesn't say it has to be massive. You Mm -hmm. can be deeply distressed. One person's deep distress is another person's water off a duck's back. So it's really important for us to acknowledge. And trauma, it, it lives in our bodies, Mm-hmm. so it that, and that that's one thing it's it's definitely affected me physically I I <laughs> I grind my teeth really badly when I sleep and I uh, you won't you may notice some pictures of me but my teeth are all the same length the top row because I just thought they were no I've ground them all and they're actually really short and I've had dentists I've, you know uh, yeah I've got I had to like sleep with a mouth kind of guard you know guard for my teeth so I don't basically grind them away yeah 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 um and I after my daughter was born I had what I now know since my youngest um uh labyrinthitis which is an infection in the inner ear I had all this vertigo and I and it was I was really it was horrible and I and I've been left with kind of death I've pretty much deaf in my left ear that was another reason why I left teaching um and uh I went to see a, a chiropractor who was a kind of holistic chiropractor and she talked through she wanted to know my whole story my whole history and she was really interested in my teeth and my jaw and the tension that I carry in my face mm-hmm. and um and she you know the thing is my dad is just the loveliest man but he doesn't remember dad's and I'm hugely generalizing here and I know I'll get criticized for it quite rightly so, but dads don't remember things in the same way mums do. So I, I can't ask, I can't <laughs> ask my mum like, what age did I start grinding my teeth and did I do it every night and how long did I do it? You know, and he, he, he doesn't really know, like yeah. he doesn't know when I started doing that. And, but when I look at photo, old photos of myself, when I was around that age, I, my teeth aren't, they don't look like they do now. They wow. are a different length. So I have, I have, it has showed up physically in yep. my body. Yep. And I think the grinding of my teeth is a physical thing, but it's mm-hmm. also triggered by all those years of just being like, I'm okay. It it, yeah. Um, it's come it's come out in my yeah. come out my sleep it's and it's not like I was like you know I really was okay I yeah. really have had a lovely life yeah, like yeah, I yeah. really have been, really been genuinely happy mm-hmm. since they died mm-hmm. I've done loads of lovely amazing things and and I have I have lovely friends and I do it's not like I'm I, you yeah, know yeah. I'm putting but this that subconscious all the conversation time. is still there yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and I think that's another thing I learned last year and yeah, the last couple of years. And it's also, I did just a lot more of just allowing myself to be sad about it, allow myself to talk about it, allow myself to ask questions about them. Um, It's funny because I don't know, (laughs) I've said said this, I think I said this to, I don't think I did put it on my, uh, that Instagram post, but it was very much about my mum last year, like, and not so much about my sister. So I don't know if I'm going to have a year where it's all about her and I'll be kind of, but, um, because we were really close. But yeah, so I think it's, it's, I I went back to Ireland, which I hadn't been back. My mum was from Northern Ireland Mm -hmm. and um, I hadn't been back to Ireland for, probably since my granny died and she died maybe when I was about 19 so mm-hmm. I haven't been back to Ireland for probably about 20 years um and I went back and I 
you know, went to where she grew up, um, took my husband there. He had never been there before. Wow. And I've kind of, I think I've allowed him into it a bit more too. And also yeah. realised that I, I want my children to know where they came from and I want yeah. them to know her. I have an, I'm really lucky. I have an amazing stepmom mm-hmm. who was also widowed. So I think her and my dad kind of understand each other on, mm-hmm. you know, on that level as well. And and I have um, inherited two lovely stepbrothers as well who we're really close to. And it's all worked. We're very fortunate that it's worked mm-hmm. out that way. I know it doesn't work out that way for everybody. Mm-hmm. So they have their Nana and they have my, my husband's mom as well. Yeah. But they also know about Nana Margaret and they yeah. ask questions about her. And I want them to be... You know, and when they, you know, and I say, yeah, and they say, you know, that's really sad that your mummy's not here. And I say, yeah, it's sad. Yeah. And But I, I do not do that. But, you know, oh, dismiss it. Breath say, of yeah, fresh it air. Is really, it is really sad. And I yeah. am really sad that it happened. Yeah. Um, do you know what's so beautiful and powerful about that? I'm, I'm I'm literally thinking social worker land now. Yeah. We do our children a huge disservice when we do, well, not just social worker land, I'm thinking human being land. We mm. do our children a huge disservice when we think that we need to protect them from challenging and difficult emotions. Mm-hmm. What you're doing, and, and you know, children learn so much more from what we role model than what we say. Yeah. You yeah. are role modeling for them that sadness is part of life, but it doesn't yeah. have to be this umbrella that kind of like casts a shadow on everything. And yeah. I, I wrote down, trauma doesn't mean that your life looks Dickensian. You can have a great life, but still be experiencing the fallout from or the manifestation of trauma. Mm -hmm. And this Mm -hmm. is why I really, I used to, but I really challenged myself not to get involved in uh, like sadness and trauma Olympics. If you are sad, you are sad. Yeah. Point yeah. blank. End yeah. of story. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. If something has been deeply distressing for you and it has created trauma, it has created trauma. That's it. Because mm. there are so many of us that are walking around. I'm about to start my somatic coaching course, everybody. So I am inhaling all things somatic experiencing, embodiment, and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm really starting to understand that because we live in a survival paradigm, our, we, we also live in survival physiology. Mm. When you experience trauma, that's even more reason for you to stay inside your survival physiology, mm. not because you are a... Um, you're not brave, not because you're not bold, not because you lack confidence, but because your body is working overtime to keep you safe. Yeah. Even the yeah. teeth grinding, like we talk about um, adrenal fatigue. Like I've got, um, I've got my liver function is not as good as it should be. Um, it's not like dangerous, but it definitely isn't where it should be. And uh, even now, because I'm thinking about it, I can feel it that. I just got really curious about where I'm feeling things in my body mm-hmm. and I would feel a lot of sadness in my midsection and I assumed it was my stomach, but I didn't even bloody well know where my stomach is. So when I mm. looked at the human anatomy, 
it's not my stomach that I feel a lot of my sadness. It's my liver. And when you look at li- uh, liver, liver is liver and lungs. Those are places that we store grief. And um, then grief, if you look at like the stages of grief, there's the anger, there's the frustration, there's the resentment. Mm. I didn't realize the anger that I was feeling, but fr- fr- uh, frustration and resentment are familiar what I used to regard as negative feelings, but actually they hold a lot of information. And now that mm. I've started to embrace them, I'm actually um, accessing a lot of where my sadness comes from and being mm. able to, like, rather than try to fix it or do mindset kind of stuff about it, people will note that I shared on an Instagram post that I've, I'm out of love with the term mindset. But what I have found is that actually reparenting myself and like literally loving the shit out of myself in the way that you do with a newborn is doing so much more to heal that than when I'd be like, right, I've got to meditate or I've got to this or I've got to do the other. Sometimes um, I've got to go to sleep or I've got yeah. to have, if you think about newborns, literally it's bath, eat, sleep, bath, eat, sleep, cuddles, bath, yeah. You know, so I've yeah. literally given myself permission to be on that cycle. And mm. guys, you can't see Maria. But when we came on that, I was like, Maria, you look <laughs> like you're just walking around with that smoothing Instagram filter. <laughs> and she tells me she's been sleeping more, waking up earlier. Mm. Like that is like a key reparenting for me. It's like having that boundary. No, you're not pissing around pretending you're working one eye on the tv or one eye on social media one eye working at nine o'clock at night you're winding down because you're going to be yeah. in bed and asleep by 10 o'clock so you can wake up early and do this in yeah. work time yeah circadian rhythm and all of that kind of jazz yeah and I, I'm also I also kind of I think I'm sometimes in danger of putting loads of restrictions on myself so I'm like I am not going to drink any alcohol for example I'm, go- I'm just gonna completely stop doing that or I'm I'm only going to be going to bed I have to be in bed at 10 o'clock every night but you know what if on a Friday night I have a noodle and tonic and then I stay up till midnight yeah. and I don't get up at the crack of dawn the next day that's okay as well yeah that's right as well I don't have to live I think uh, you know by certain rules all the time corporal punishment absolutely because that just doesn't it's all like you say it's about just giving yourself some grace giving yourself kindness and yeah yeah sometimes lady you're looking like an advert for (laughs) oil of yule for generation x people not all this ole business it's it's working yeah 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 what are you doing um so just to get back on track because i will take us into a two-hour podcast if i'm not careful um so you shared you lost your mum and your sister in quick succession. Mm. Uh, you were 16. And for mm. me, 16 feels like the pinnacle of the teenage years. Mm. You finish your formal education. I know school goes up to 18 now. And, um, you know, if you, if you wanted to have sex, it wouldn't be illegal. Um, not yeah. encouraging any 16-year-olds to um, have sex. Um, and you can, instead of staying at school, you can go to college, the mm. whole wide world of college or get a job or whatever. 
um, so it's like the it's like like quite a pinnacle time in your teenage years. Um, I don't know why I said that, but anyway, so they say time is a great healer, mm. and that is something that's said quite frequently when it comes to grief and loss and heartbreak and stuff. What do you say to that phrase? I think it is. I think it is. You know, the 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 feel when you are in those early stages of grief, it is foggy it is foggy it is painful you have to go through every milestone the first birthday the first your first birthday without them Mm. you know the first anniversary of their passing you know there's so many things that you have you know yeah first times for things without them being there and time definitely definitely does help it Mm. does help um I think that the 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 problem, you know, that the, the thing that's hard with that is that everybody's time frame is different, if that makes sense. So I would still be in, I remember still being in very much the cloud of grief, but feeling because I was 16, everybody else's lives were just kind of going on and you know, they were looking forward to Christmas and I was dread you know dreading mm. it didn't want to engage with any of it didn't want to listen to a freaking christmas song no thank you mm-hmm. you know things like that and i think i remember feeling like everybody else's lives moving on and i'm still mm-hmm. here so that can be and and because there's no textbook everybody's foggy stage of grief those early days that can be months it can be years but ultimately you know, 22, 22 years on, I can say it does. <laughs> it feels like such a, it is a long time. It does get easier. It does mm-hmm. get easier for time. But then it catches you off guard. Like, you know, having my first baby without her, you know, there was 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 hard. It was really hard. Getting married and her not being there was yeah. hard. You know, um, thinking you know, my sister, for example, thinking when I think how old she would be now, you know, what she'd be doing, imagine what she'd be doing now. Yeah. Or her 30, when it was her 30th birthday, for example, things like that. Well, yeah. you know, and that, you know, she died when she was 15. So she, it was, that would have been 15 years after her death and still, you know, there were still days where it, and, and actually what's really interesting is, it's not always on those significant days when it does catch you off guard. It's other times it catches you off. It literally, you know, that's what's called catching off guard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You're unprepared for it. You're like, hang on a second. This is just a, 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 a Thursday afternoon. Why am I sad about it today? That's weird. Yeah. You know, and it will be, there'll be no significance to that day. It's just, it, it catches up with you sometimes. And um, yeah, so that it, time, time does is the heat is a healer it is a healer but I would also caveat that with getting that help in those early days and not not thinking I think I you know I didn't get any and I wore the fact that I didn't have any grief counseling I thought that was a badge of honor I thought I was something to be proud of like I've done this by myself Mm -hmm. because I've got a lovely supportive family you know and people around me who had lots of people around me who cared about me who come from a really big family my dad's one of five my mum was one of five lots of aunties and uncles and close family friends so lots of adults who were there to help me as well as my friends were amazing too and I thought that was all I needed, but mm-hmm. actually there's, I, 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 yeah, 
going to the counselling and doing the therapy is you can do that at any stage Mm -hmm. you know whether you want to do it in the early years or not I wouldn't I would definitely advise people to to go and speak to somebody about it because it's really powerful and I I think you may have given quite a few people permission to Mm -hmm. feel what they're feeling and perhaps distance themselves from this um well I'm an adult I'm I'm together therefore I can do it on my own yeah yeah Yeah. I should I should oh you know it's been this long I should be all right about it now says who yeah says who yeah it's okay to not be okay about it you know and it's okay to ask for help yeah okay to ask for help always always it's okay to ask for help Yeah, it sure is. Thank you, Maria. That's, yeah, really, really powerful stuff. Um, I've got people that I'm going to send this podcast episode directly to. Um, So I want to kind of uh, segue into more of your teenage, adolescent coaching work. Mm -hmm. Um. Because I, when I was, um, you know, I know quite a bit about you. We're friends and we spent mm-hmm. lots of time talking to each other. We used to co-mentor each other and yeah. I hope that we can pick that back up again. We so, definitely need um, to. Yeah, I know quite a bit about Maria. But in researching this and um, experiencing grief myself, I, I've, I've lost people before, but this one was a bit, this one was different. This one felt bit meteor um I started to think wow your experience lends itself really well to the work you're doing now Mm. because I think it gives you the capacity to hold space in a way that teenagers particularly will really benefit well not will do really benefit from um and I think it 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 adds I haven't got the words for it right now but it adds so much depth there we go it adds a lot of depth and nourishing quality to your work and I read something that you shared on Instagram it says um when kids reach the teenage years their vulnerability comes into sharp focus the older they get the more time they spend away from the security of their parents and whilst of course this is essential it can make them aware of how their personal safety is compromised and it made me think given your personal and professional experience of being away from the security of a parent through losing your mum Um, at 16, uh, being a teen yourself, being a teacher, being a parent to three children, um, and now being a coach for teens, using that as your lens, or I guess it's not using, it is your lens, how can we support our children, not just particularly teens, particularly teens, not just to understand what is and isn't safe, but also to acknowledge what feeling safe feels like for them. Mm. I've, I've, so that's taken from um, a blog post that I wrote about recently. And actually I did a live on it yesterday. My, I have a free Facebook group for mums of teenagers. Um, can I did a live about it. for that blog post I will. group so I can add I it, will, yeah. I will. And I think that, you know, that actually came from a lovely mum in my group who posted about that. She, she, she asked some advice of whether I would write a blog post or do a live on it because 
her son was start him and his friends were starting to realize that they weren't that safe out in the world. One of their friends had been attacked, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it made them realize that, yeah, it made them realize they were quite vulnerable mm-hmm. when they're out and about. You know, in the you know, going to school or walking to or from school or on mm-hmm. a Saturday afternoon, um, and 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 we, uh, you know, she made it really clear that it was wasn't about kind of don't talk to strangers and mm-hmm. don't stay out late uh, after dark. Like they all know that they mm-hmm. all get that drilled in from home at the, you know, in school. But um, one of the things I, 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 I said in that post, one of the advice I said was, was about knowing first thing is, is knowing your power. Mm-hmm. So your power, all our power, we kind of, sometimes we, and kids, I think, kind of misunderstand it. And they think power comes from, you know, it's a physical strength, you know, or it's it's because, you know, the head teacher is the most powerful person in the school because they're at the top, you know, or um, that person in their group is the most powerful one because that's the one, they're the funniest one that everybody, you know, the most popular one. Mm-hmm. But actually, power comes from the decisions that we make. Mm-hmm. And the decisions that we make are have to be, based on what's best for us because if we're not making decisions that are best for us we can't we're gonna kind of fall apart and we're no good to anybody if we if 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 we're not looking after ourselves so it's getting them really clear on what is important to them what do they value in their life and how the decisions that they make need to be it's got about basically teaches about being aligned isn't it you know how those decisions how do they uphold those values? You know, how are they making those values, uh, kind of bringing life to those, making those values feature in their life or how, or, or are they actually going against what they really believe to be important? So it's, it's that, it's teaching about their decision-making. I also think that the people that you surround yourself with make you feel safe. So getting them, you know, teenagers are part of growing up is is experimenting with the different friendship groups and kind of seeing where you fit in. It kind of it's part of making you realise who the person you are is. You know, you you you've gone through your primary school years. I look at my son that he's in year five and he's still friends with the boys that he hung out with in preschool you know they're still best of friends will they be best of friends when they go to secondary school I hope so they're a lovely mm-hmm. little crowd but mm-hmm. I will imagine he'll he'll go and experiment with other groups and see yeah. if, he, if they're his friends you know and it's yeah. all part of you know you you kind of coming to terms with who you are and finding out who you are um but it's getting them clear on what is a good friend and looking at their friendship group does that match up to their their ideals you know are they are they good friends because if you are surrounded by people who are you know who aren't good friends who don't you know who don't value you for who you are don't love you for who you are you're not going to feel safe you're not going to feel safe yeah so it's your decision making it's the people you surround yourself with I also think that um you know the one thing I always do as well with with them um is talking about the things you can control and the things that you can't control. You know, what can you control in your life? What can't you control in your life? Um, to give them the confidence so they know that there are certain things they can control, but other things you can't control. Yeah. So that you just have to accept that that is the way things are. And actually for all of us to step outside the door, it's always a risk. Yeah, for us to step out of our houses. It's all, you know, places Gosh, that we can live. Can you be an adult coach, please? <laughs> I do coach first. Of course you do. Of course you do. Yeah. I love doing that. 
And then the other thing is, it's like the worst case scenario scale. And, um, you know, what's, what do you, you know, where would you put that, that thing that you're worried about? Is it a one, not very important, and 10, like complete and utter disaster? The worst thing you can think of, where would it be on that scale? If, you, if you're putting it at a seven, what can you do to make it go down to a six? Yeah. And also then, you know, if they can't make it go down and say, what, what would you, having a bit of a plan of action with them. So if somebody yeah. did come up and attack, try and attack you in the street, what can we do? Let's prepare for yeah. that. Because that could happen. Yeah. So what would you do? What would you do in that situation? So to try and get them to kind of have a plan in their yeah. head about what they would do in that situation. And I think... Maria, I, sorry, just because I, I, I think that... I know that some people will listen to this and be like, oh gosh, I'm not sure because we often don't want to talk about safety planning mm. because we're scared that we're going to make our children scared. Yeah, yeah. But safety you need to, planning. That's, 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 you know, and you need to take that call as their parent or whether they're ready for that too, you know. They might not be. And obviously teenage years, we're talking like 13 to 19, yes. you know, that's quite a big... Huge. Yeah, yeah, and they might not be ready to have yeah. that conversation. Yeah, and you need you you know you know you need to listen to your you know what you know is is right, is going to be the right time to have that conversation yeah. with them. But it is a conversation that does need to happen. You know, I think with your parents, I, I remember living with my my dad and my stepmom before I um I moved to London now to, to do teaching. I was I was yeah I was moving from Bournemouth to London when I was mm-hmm. about twenty. 24 and I moved in with them um before I went um for a few months and one of my stepbrothers was about 15 at the time and he was walking home from I don't think it was even dark and it with a friend through a park and um he's really tall boy and he's really really confident he was really confident at school really good at football very handsome you know one of those types and he's he's lovely and he yeah, he got home and he had been somebody the boys had attacked him Damn. and his friend and it was really scary it was horrible for yeah. my, my stepmom and my dad really horrible really upsetting for him that's I can really that upsetting but you know what he's he's fine yeah he is fine it wasn't it wasn't he didn't have to go to hospital it wasn't and I know he was lucky it was yeah it wasn't but what I mean, well, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to know, I'm, I'm being, trying to be very careful about what I say here because there's obviously, there's different degrees of being yeah. attacked and I'm, and people react in different ways, but yeah. it, it, it happens and people, people survive. Yeah. People are okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it is scary, but it's, I guess it's that dance have- of, moving backwards and forwards and knowing that sometimes mm-hmm. it might show up more, sometimes it might show yeah. up less and being yeah. able to, I guess, uh, widen and narrow the space you're holding as necessary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I do think it's worth having those conversations and also getting, you know, as a parent thinking, right, putting yourself there. What am I going to do if they come home and they have been attacked? How am I going to react? What kind of parent do I want to be in that situation? How do I want them to remember me being in that situation and prepare yourself for it? too those are really powerful questions and I'm thinking personally um I I I keep seeing it's happening less now but there was a long period of time that my daughter was four Mm. there was a long period of time Mm. that in my heart and in my mind she was four and um 
I have to I had to keep reminding myself like I'm 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 fortunate in that my mum was always very open so I'm used to having open conversations mm-hmm. if a if a if a child asks a question my mum's answering it in a appropriate way she's not going to say um the stork puts babies in their mummy's tummies if a child yeah. asks how does it she'll whatever the so I've always been open to that but sometimes I was behind because I was seeing my daughter as four for such a long time I was finding myself having to run and catch up to actually know she's she's mm. She's showing me that she's not. And sometimes, yeah. most of the time, because we're very open, I was having the conversations with her that needed to be had at a level that was commensurate to where she was. But because I wasn't registering it, because I was stuck in this four, I wasn't prepared for the young yeah. person my daughter was becoming. Yeah. So if you were to ask me consciously if I could have that conversation about safety preparation with my daughter, my Mm. conscious response, or maybe it was my subconscious response was, oh, hell no. But Mm. my actual response that I hadn't caught up with was that I was having those conversations with her. And I was having those conversations Mm. with her from when she was really little. I remember when she would walk off in shops you know, children, they see something over there that catches their attention and they yeah. just go like a moth to the flame. And I would say, you can't do that. Um, and I remember having a good phase of like, the man will come and take you away. And mm. she would say, no, because I'll kick you and I'll punch and hi, yeah, and I won't. <laughs> and having conversations with her. And then um, I spoke to you about this. Year seven was really difficult for my daughter. She went to a new school she was one of two children from her previous school that went to this school and she didn't feel safe in her friendships at all. And it was Mm. manifesting in all sorts Mm. of other places. And I think it highlighted for her other places where she wasn't feeling safe. And in that instant, I had to be mature Mm. and have conversations with her so that she started to really register when, where and how she feels safe Mm-hmm. So her decision-making for friendships now are about when, where, and how she feels safe. So mm-hmm. it's not that she was associating with anybody that was mean. She was associating with somebody that wanted to possess her. And because mm-hmm. she's very empathic and very supportive and loving and kind, this person who had lots of difficulties, my daughter was her like counsellor and her be-all and end-all. Mm. And so if my daughter had the gall to associate with somebody else, that person would be like, you've abandoned me, would even say things like, you weren't there for me at lunchtime. And then my daughter would carry all of that. So Mm. it's really important that we think about that child as they are and their need for emotional safety. And we, we can't, yeah, human beings are human beings are human beings, but I didn't have social media when I was in school. I didn't Mm -hmm. have some really overt um, messages about what I should look like. Yeah, there were always stuff. Yeah, there was always stuff that was, you know, very But it's so much more, so, it's, so much more it's saturated It's in your hand now. all the time. It is. And I think, and I, I you know, people say, oh, to being a teenager, you know, it's the same where, where, whatever era. I think it, I, I agree to an extent, the hormones and all that sort of thing, the physical changes, all that sort of thing. But, but the, the external influences are different. And mm-hmm. I also, you know, I, and I, every year when the exam results 
come out and you get some papers saying, oh, that the, the exams at GCSEs are getting easier. Talk to any teacher and they will tell you. You nearly said bollocks, I saw I it. did, I did. <laughs> because they are, I would challenge anybody of our generation to sit some of those papers. The stuff that they, well, I can only speak about English in fairness, but to, I have taught, um, I've had experience of teaching several different um syllabuses under a couple of different governments and the the current one is the hardest it has ever been so you know they are deep they've got so much more to deal with and it pisses me off when people say that they're snowflakes you know and I think well actually I am so glad when I was going through all that stuff with my mum and my sister and I was you know trying to pretend everything was all right and going out and doing stupid things my god am I glad there was no social media then Mm. I'm glad there's no photographic evidence of some of the things that me and my friends we all are aren't we we're all absolutely anybody that hung around Haven Green in Ealing will be saying (laughs) hell yeah right now (laughs) and even those photographs you do have of when you were back you know that my, my, it was like the really, really pale foundation that made us just look like ghosts and the really horrible honey, what was it, Heather Shimmer lips. Oh my gosh! Like. I love that. It was actually Coffee Shimmer by Coffee Ramel. Shimmer. Yes, yeah, yeah, everything yeah. just made us look like we were, well, it was gothic and emo, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, We've got photographic evidence, but they don't have to be there, but they're not on social media and, it, and we could laugh about those things. But, you know, kids are getting, they're, 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 they're also learning the hard way about stuff like things they're putting on the social media. And it. I've, you know, worked with kids who've got into trouble at school because they put something on social mm-hmm. media and they're like, but, but my Instagram's private. So someone screenshot it. Exactly. Well, oh you gosh. know, you can't trust everybody. No. You know, if you don't, you don't want your Grammy to see it, then don't post don't it. Don't put it you on know, there. Don't want your teacher to see it. Don't post it. Yeah. And, you know, and they, they get told that, but we learn through doing, don't mm-hmm. we? So they mess up mm-hmm. and they, they, you know, and they'll, they'll learn that way. But, but, it's it's harder for it to kind of go away, I think. In, yeah. In you know when it's there's evidence of it, but mm-hmm. yeah. So I think they're having to deal with an awful lot more. But I, what I do think is 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 brilliant about this generation. That so many things are brilliant about this generation. But one thing is they are a lot more comfortable talking about their feelings. The emotional t- intelligence is yeah. intelligence is on a different level. Mm-hmm. And I think they're become they're, they're a lot more self aware than we were, and yeah. they're okay. They, a lot of them, I'm generalising, but I think as a generation, they are they 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 they're okay with being vulnerable, talking about things yes. that feel vulnerable. Yeah. Um, in in a way that perhaps we weren't as much, and that that brings acceptance or or connection or belonging or whatever. Because I know that um, it, my daughter in her school, and, and please don't get me wrong, I know that my daughter is a whole character. There's there are many elements to her. I, I'm not mm. saying this because I think she's some kind of, you know, model teen or anything. But what I've noticed about her and her friends. There have been um, some children that have got additional needs, whatever they are, um, and maybe they've needed more interventions or they have been allowed to, they've been given more leeway than um, other children. And when she was really little, would be like, oh, it's not fair because I worked really hard, but this person's getting a trip because they've done something that we all do, all that kind of stuff. But once they got kind of like over seven, 
They really understood that some people need more and need that kind of encouragement mm. because they have these additional needs. And then it became with their little group, but that, that's just how they are. So that's it. And yeah, I was like, yeah. what? They and, are. They're much more accepting oh my of, of people who seem different. You know, yes. teenagers don't want to be different. They want to blend in and be like everybody else. Yeah. Generally. Um, but But that kind of like accepting people people. yeah Yeah, there was a conversation they they were nine my daughter and her two friends and they were talking about um about what's offensive and Mm. I couldn't believe I was listening to such a sophisticated conversation so one of them said one one of them no, so, ah, that's it. My daughter and her friend, another one that's not in the trio, talked about their mums being black. Mm. Her friend said, you shouldn't say black, it's offensive. And so my daughter said, but, you know, we are black people. Black people are black people. That's not offensive. It's only offensive if you believe that there is something wrong with being black. And this girl had a, she, this girl's from an Eastern European background and she grew up with some notions about um, black people. There were things that her family were told when they were coming to England about black people and basically to stay away from them or from us, I'm black. Um, and so um, my daughter educated her about wow. understanding that this has come from stories you've been told about what it is to be black. And then they came to a consensus that um, things that offend are individual. So not necessarily the black thing, like that was... Mm-hmm quite a blanket thing but they started talking about when some people get upset about being roasted and some people don't get upset about being roasted for some people roasting is offensive and for some people roasting is just roasting that was before roasting got banned in school and I just thought wow yeah I don't know if I would have had the skills to to and this is why, do you know what? I feel totally hopeful for the future with this generation. You know, I think they get a bad press, but actually they're way more insightful, way more educated about, yeah, they're educated in the, I mean, you know, in the sense that exams are harder and they're having to do all this kind of challenging academic stuff, but they're, they're educated in the stuff that really, really matters about people and about people's feelings, about not knowing, not always knowing what's going on with somebody. You know, they are, I think, generally speaking, the ones that I, the ones that I've been in contact with anyway, I am not worried about it. I also think that they are I, one of the reasons why I stayed in teaching for so long was I thought, well, this is my job and this is what I have to do. You know, this is what I've chosen, so I have to stick with it. And I think that the, 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 the generation, I mean, I'm sort of caught between, I'm not quite a millennial, but I'm not quite You're a zennial, darling. You're zennial. a zennial. <laughs> and I think the millennials going into the Generation Z are so much more like, no, I'll take my time and figure out what I want and I'm going to do something that will serve my... I'm, I've, I, they, they, a lot of them are coming to the idea or of, of the kind of idea of what do I want my life to look like and that's what my job will, will fit into mm-hmm. what my life's going to look, what I want my life to feel like. And, mm-hmm. and I, think, I think we don't need to be worried. I think there are a lot more um, 
yeah, I think I think they are they they are a lot more insightful and educated about stuff that matters that we we are just learning about now. We're yeah. like trying to yeah. listen and learn. Like I'm trying yeah. to listen and learn about all sorts of stuff at the moment and trying to kind of educate myself more so I can be better at my job. And and but they're they're doing it like your daughter's having those sort of conversations and she's in year eight. That's I know. Amazing. I know. And and this was this was when she was nine. That conversation was. So oh, I'm just, really? Yeah, they were nine at that time. Oh my gosh, I'm they were nine at that, Yeah, that's incredible. Absolutely, that's incredible. Absolutely. So, yeah, not worried. As long no. as you, and that's and it's it's kind of they're making them feel like they can, you know, that they, they 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 can make a difference. They yeah. Can. I was talking to a lovely mum today, and she said that what her daughter told her that she was afraid of being forgotten, you know, and I said, well, don't, you don't need to worry about that because actually, yeah, at the moment that means, oh, are my mates going to forget about me if I'm not on WhatsApp this evening? You know, at the moment, that's what that feels like to her. But in the future, that could feel like I want to make an impact. I want to make a difference. I'm not going to be forgotten. I've been put on this earth to do something and to do something important. And I'm going to, I'm going to do that thing. You know, if we can channel those feelings and those, that you know I feel like I'm the heart eyes emoji emoji (laughs) listening to this right and this is why I just think you would you would be a beautiful investment for my daughter so thinking about that there were other things I wanted to talk about but um it's a podcast not a um trilogy so (laughs) um what are the benefits of having professional support like do you know what let me not even beat around the bush what are the benefits of working with you Maria Evans the team coach I have I'm trying to own this a bit more I have come from a generation and I know we talked about this where you kind of can't really talk about yourself positively like you know that feels still feels quite icky to me like stop showing off I know. So I invest in a coach. I have a coach, you know, I, and I, and it's really important to me for my work. And, um, but also that I, I, you know, I invest in what I'm telling other people to yeah. invest in, you yeah. know, and, and I, and I take that really seriously. And one of the things she said to me is you, you need to kind of try and own a bit more. <laughs> right. So stop a moment. I'm trying to do that. Yeah. No, no, no. Wait, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> One moment. We're going to take a deep breath. You're not going to try. You are going I to am. toot your MF horn. Okay. I have a um, ability to just communicate well with young people. I don't know what it is. I've always had it. Mm-hmm. I've worked with young people. I used to volunteer at kids camps when I was a student and I used to teach um overseas students when I was a student as well in my summer holidays I've just I have I I I young people like me and I like young people I'm very very good at (laughs) having that chemistry with them and that rapport with them I have that established I can establish that very very quickly with them and um I I think what 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 kind of the coaching does for teenagers as well is it it reinforces a lot of the stuff that you're already saying they don't want to listen to you because they're you're, you're their mum or their dad and that they're conditioned to kind of not when you get to a teenager you, you don't want to listen to anything they're saying but but having a third party come and say reinforce a lot of those things makes them hear it a bit more and it also sometimes being as a parent being that person who's always kind of you know let's say take my exam um, clients for example being the one who's always like have you done your revision have you done this 
what are we doing about that? How, you know, or how, how, trying to kind of deal with their nerves. Being that personal time is exhausting. Having somebody else to take some of that away from you can benefit you, benefit them, benefit the whole family because exam time is stressful in a yeah. household. Mm-hmm. So ha- knowing that somebody is, 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 has, is kind of dealing with that accountability for you can mean that you can just be there you know, you can be making them cups of tea. You can be making sure they're eating properly. And yeah. They're taking their breaks. You don't have to be nagging all the time. I yeah. can do that. And actually, yeah. they take nagging better from a third party than they do from someone they love. You With know, you, it's, it's support. It's not nagging. Exactly. I could say exactly. the same thing and I would get a growl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They're not going to do that with me. They're not yeah. going to do that with me. Um, and I think as well, it's just, it's it's opening them up like I said right at the beginning of our conversation opening them up to this stuff you know to yeah. this stuff that you getting them to see that you don't have to be your thoughts you know you get to choose which thoughts you act on you get to yeah. choose which thoughts you want to believe um I'm not unrealistic I'm not going to start saying to them that you know if they really hate school you can change that thought and just be like I love school but we can yeah. work on moving to a neutral place well how yeah. about school is just school yeah. And it's all right. Oh, I like you know, that. you know, at the moment. It's just okay at the moment. It'll be an all right day, you know. Rather than trying to give them unreal make them do these kind of unrealistic leaps. They look forward to just talking to another person each week that isn't connected to the family, someone mm-hmm. that they can talk to, all the stuff that's going on with them. And I've worked with a lot of families who are don't live near their families so they don't have Mm -hmm. an auntie or an uncle Mm -hmm. to talk to Mm -hmm. um so I can be that other person there's so much research that um says that that, you know that young people need to have a mentor somebody else in their life that isn't their parents and that can be their dance teacher their swimming coach football coach whatever yeah um but they don't all have that either so it's it's that person too that's the other benefit of doing of of working with me and I get them into the habit of journaling and um journaling out their feelings um and getting them to notice because of the so you know as we know just being knowing that you're you don't have to act on all your thoughts. You don't have to yeah. believe all your thoughts. Yeah. And I guess you help them identify patterns step. as well. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. things that aren't serving them. Yeah. Giving them the confidence to let go of things that aren't serving them. I'm working with somebody at the moment who um, has had to step away from a very toxic friendship group. Mm. And they are, they're giving her a really hard time for it. Yeah. They're, not, they're not letting her go lightly mm. um, and it's been really tough for her and and it's just having an hour of 45 minutes a week to talk to somebody who's who says you know well do you you know do you want to go back to that group no well then keep going yeah you know yeah. it will be all right some cheerleading we'll this. yeah exactly yeah exactly with regard to the exam stuff because um you know it is february now almost at the end of february exams are beginning um once they get back after the easter holidays so that's may whatever mm. when is a good time if you are a parent that is thinking about uh, how you can support your child through exams, not necessarily this academic year. You might not have children mm. that are that age yet. 
for people to know when would be a good time to start accessing the sort of support you offer. And yes, I am asking for myself. When would be a good time to start accessing the support you offer to support your children through GCSE exams? Uh, I would say, I mean, I've one of my clients that I'm working with at the moment, we've been working together since October last year, early October last year. And she is, so we've been through the mocks together, yeah. the mock exams together before Christmas. And she's just starting to see some changes some shifts it takes a long time as we yeah. know it yeah. takes a long time yeah. for this stuff to really embed yeah. and what happens is when they first because this happened with me with coaching when I first started learning I was like oh my god this is amazing and I'm doing all this stuff and I'm gonna yeah. do this I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this and then you sort of plateau and you're like yeah oh, I thought I'd fixed myself. Like, why is this <laughs> happening again? And you're like, and, and you think you're done. I've done my coaching with yeah. stuff and now yeah. I'm fixed and it's all fine. And then you're actually like, oh, actually. There's more. No, this is still, or there's more or it's still <laughs> showing up or I'm still messing, yeah. I'm still approaching these issues the same way. Why am I doing that? And it, it, and it so I think, you know, they can see initial results that feel quite, you know, and mm-hmm. feel great about it. Mm-hmm but there can be a point where they kind of plateau a bit. And I think, yeah. so I, I would always say the sooner the better. So I think if you're, if your kid is in year 11, get it before, get some help embedded in before the mock exam. So they feel good about going yeah. into those mocks. And what often happens is they do these end of year 10 exams at my school. They used to call them the pre-mocks. They're like mock, mock exams. <laughs> and they, so many of them just completely bomb on those. They do terribly. Yeah. Most kids do really badly on those because they've never seen an exam like it before. They yeah. don't take it really seriously. And they're like, Oh, it'll be all right. And they realize, yeah. oh, actually, this is quite, I've actually got to do some work here. And so they start to panic after those ones. And, and so it's, it, it's, I think, in year 11 then, so that their real mocks become a bit more of a positive yeah. experience, they can remain calm about those mocks as well and just see them as this is useful information. This is telling me where the gaps are. So they, yeah. they, they're kind of going in with those thoughts rather than this is like life or death and I'm, it's going to be the end of the world yeah, if yeah, I fail yeah, them. yeah, yeah. So getting that in before, so you would, I guess, yeah, so looking at sort of October, that October half yeah. term, yeah. I think, or okay. beginning with year 11, you know. Well, because that's what I was thinking. I just thought year yeah. 11, throughout year 11, until yeah. you finish your exams, well, or until you start, whatever's the best. But I just mm. thought the beginning of September, when you start year 11, we're starting yeah. with Maria. That's it. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a little while yet, so um, please don't get some big exclusive deal and be Oprah's. No, yeah, do be be (laughs) Oprah's next big thing. I'll still be available. I'll still be here. I'll be. I'll I'll definitely be signing up. Um, So, Maria, do you have anything coming up? Anything in particular, or how do people? What have you got? Yeah. So I've got, um, so I've always got my one-to-one clients um, and I've got a couple of, two spaces at the moment free for that, which is, um, can either be the exam support or just general coaching support. I also, because I'm quite limited because I work with teens in the evenings because obviously unless they're home educated, they're all at school during the day. So I only have kind of limited space for teenagers. And I'm, so yeah, so once those spaces are gone they're, they're, they're you know gone. I can only do a couple a night yeah yeah so um uh so yep there's those and I have parent 
mentoring as well. So um, that's, you know, as I talked about at the beginning. And I'm also starting to, over the next um, few months, I'm going to start to do monthly workshops online about various different topics to do with parenting teenagers from sort of communication um those those sorts of talks when your teen inner teen is triggered what you do then all those sorts of things yeah (laughs) yes so and in between where can people uh find you i'm I'm saying this i'm leading uh there is a beautiful uh facebook community that uh, maria is growing um Mm -hmm. so you could get a flavor of maria there yeah yeah you can find that and i'm on instagram and facebook as well Uh, yeah so i'll have links to all of those um Mm -hmm. and before we wrap up do you have any recommendations for books podcasts etc so my two favorite books i've actually got them here um they just happen to be here is the book you you wish your parents read you read that one no i haven't yet i've got that to yeah philippa perry excellent really non-judgmental she talks a lot about how if you feel like you've already she talks about repairing the rupture which I love it's like if you you feel like you've messed up already don't worry you can always always repair it which is I heard her on a podcast talking about apologizing to children and I just thought how absolutely refreshing Mm. I know that my daughter and I we've deepened parts of our relationship by me saying do you know what I'm sorry I was wrong or do you know what actually not necessarily I did a bad thing but I was actually really annoyed and tired about this thing and then you did that thing and I probably reacted 50% more than I should have I'm really sorry and then have a conversation about it which yeah and then she knows it's not about her it wasn't and about her and I'm that a you're human, human, she's a human and you make mis- and it's also giving her permission to make mistakes we yeah. make mistakes yeah. she's seeing you making a mistake and yeah. it, and the world didn't end you know and Indeed. and also that it's okay to apologize sometimes I think we feel so it's I know like I remember being little and hating saying sorry you know but actually it's showing her that we all can say sorry mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. it's actually the way I always talk about um I remember at head's department I used to work with years ago she'd always say you've got to help your kids dig themselves out of the hole you know they just keep digging keep digging keep deeper 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 you've got to help them get out of the hole and yeah. one of the ways to help them get out of the hole is you know if you apologize for this and mean it it will be okay. Yeah. And it's then, it's done. It's yeah. done then. Yeah. So it's, it's that too. I also love this one, how to talk so teens will listen and listen so teens will talk. They did one about kids and uh, toddlers, I think. Oh, yes, I, I saw that. I haven't read that one, but I have read this one, which is really accessible, really easy to read, um, really good practical strategies on how to communicate well. Um with kids and yeah those are my two favorites I would say trying to think anymore I think those are my two favorites so far fantastic thank you I'll make sure that there are links in there and finally 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 (laughs) uh what does everyday joy mean to you Maria Evans oh oh my goodness that's such a big question (laughs) I I think I think I'm starting to realize it's it's a real cliche but it's true just the little things and you know what as a as a mum and we're I was going to say busy mum of three but you can have one you can not be a mum and be busy like life is hectic yeah and I think it's appreciating 
the moments I take for myself. That brings mm-hmm. me joy. I love, there's joy in connection. I'm always, you know, I don't always feel joy when I'm around my children, but I often <laughs> feel joy when I'm around my children and they're being amazing and funny and, you know, all that sort of thing. But, and I love that, but I really, I love that more when I've had those moments by myself. I really love being by myself, having time by myself. And so I've, yeah, having those mm. moments of quiet by myself that that brings me joy I have to have it every day if I don't have it every day I'm grumpy as <laughs> really am all the hip-hop bombs <laughs> but Maria that's that's not quite the truth are you always quiet when you're having your moments because <laughs> I've, I've seen you when you finish some of your moments to yourself isn't it like some kind of kickboxing or something <laughs> tie boxing there yeah. we go uh, there I we do. go I love that that yeah I love I love doing that I do love that as well but you know what that's that's also time for me you yeah. know that's time that's exercise for me it's it's yeah. It's exercise. It's also working my brain because I'm trying to figure out the combinations and I'm trying to, you know, my coach is saying, you're doing it wrong. You need to, you know, move your, put your hip, you know, swing, tilt your hips more or whatever it is he's yeah. telling me to do. Lift your elbow up. And I, so I've got I'm space for anything else. I'm concentrating on that. And that, that brings me joy because I'm thinking about something that isn't work. The kids, what they're going to have, they, you know, how am I going to get their vegetables in them today? All that sort of stuff. The heck, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. the stuff we worry about. It just yeah. takes all that away. And um, yeah, so I do love, I do love tie boxing and boxing. It's good fun. Beautiful. <laughs> Not very good at it, but I love it. It doesn't matter. It's about doesn't having matter. that. No, exactly. Exactly. It's for the, it's for the joy of it. Exactly. Exactly. So Maria, thank you so very much. This has been um, selfishly, I didn't even realise that I needed this conversation. Um, I really did need that that conversation. Um, yeah, well, it's been a pleasure. Some... Thank you for yeah, having me. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to 360 Conversations. I appreciate you sharing your precious time with my guest and I. I hope you found the episode useful. I'd be so grateful if you could rate and review my podcast like an increasing number of our digital experiences, the algorithms rule. Your feedback will assist me reaching a wider audience and I'd really love to have more women being privy to or joining these conversations. The feedback I get following each episode is beautiful and tells me more women could benefit. As always, I'd love to keep the conversation going. You can join me by commenting on the podcast show notes on my website or via social media at Live360. I hope to engage with you soon. Podcast produced by me, Tammy Thomas. Podcast music produced by James Anderson. Take care.